Thank you, Natalie. That's powerful. Um, thanks for sharing that story. For you to think you didn't have a story, come on. You're, you're telling lies there. That's amazing. Good evening. My name is Ben. Ben Patterson. I'm the campus leader here for Orchard Hill Church at Waverly. And I'm really glad that you're here this evening. And I don't know if someone did something to this section over here, if it smells really bad or what, but I actually kind of like that we're all in, in this part of the room. I can focus this way. Um, just a little bit about me. I grew up in Cedar Falls. I actually grew up attending Orchard Hill Church from the time I was in second grade all the way through. I went to college at Kansas, the Kansas Jayhawks, and then transferred back to UNI. After that, I worked in sports broadcasting for a little bit before I became a youth pastor at Orchard Hill Church. Was doing that for a while before I moved my family out to Colorado. We lived out in Denver, Colorado, and then moved back three years ago and love it. I have seven kids, and li being out in Colorado with no grandparents or any family support out there was really tough as the kids were getting older. So, uh, And then just blessed to come back and be able to work with Orchard Hill Church and certainly excited about this Waverly campus. And so I want to echo what Mads and Brooks said. If, if you're going to church somewhere on Sundays, perfect, great. If you're looking for somewhere to go, um, we show up here every Sunday at 915 and I'd love to see your bright, smiling face. You know, the new year often brings a uh, fresh start, right, or an ideas of a fresh start. And there's no, uh, no magic about January 1 other than kind of flipping over a new calendar, a new set of 12 months maybe might get your eyes set, your heart ide ideating on what you could do to be a better person. But really, if you wanted to be a new person on August 1st or June 26th or October 23rd, you know, you could do that at any time. But f since we're kind of in that zone still for the new year, every new year I'm, I'm reminded myself personally that it's often the small disciplines no one sees that result in the big difference that everyone wants. And I got this small little cabin at the foot of a mountain as, as our photo guide this evening because if you wanted to climb that mountain, it's not realistic to climb it in one big jump. Although that would be amazing. <laughs> it's small step after small step after small step, and you climb the mountain, and you enjoy the journey. And the same is true of you in your life. If you want to change something, it's small daily disciplines that over time will move you in a big difference. And what I want to focus on tonight is the words that you speak because if you want to change your world, I believe you may have to consider changing your words. This, this is our bottom line for the night. This is the one thing to remember. If you want to change your world, you change your words. Let me tell you about a time a game of Monopoly changed my life. And yes, I finished a game of Monopoly once and lived to tell about it. My family and I, we vacation at Lake Okaboji every single summer, the 30th week of the year. It, all our family's there. I'm the oldest of four kids, so my two younger brothers who are both married and my younger sister who's married, all of us, we bring our kids and with my parents, and we all go up and have a few different timeshares up at Lake Okaboji, and we spend the week together. And I am a very competitive person. I always have been a very competitive person, and growing up, I 
flexed my ability as the oldest sibling to get my way when I wanted, how I wanted, if I wanted. And boy, did I want my way all the time. And so my brothers especially got the brunt of that, especially when I would change the rules to games and, and modify it so I could win. And they felt like I perhaps was doing that in this game of Monopoly we were playing. This was um, a few years ago. Here's us around the table. Myself over here, early dad bod stages. Tony is five years younger than me. There's my dad, uh, my brother-in-law, Mark, and then uh, Alex is a couple years younger than me. And this is a photo right before, probably within an hour of this Monopoly table just getting flung off of, the <laughs> off of its hinges and the game was over because my brother Alex was mad that I made a trade with Tony that which 30 minutes before I wouldn't trade with him even though he was getting, uh, giving me a better deal on properties. I just refused to trade with Alex and he was he was really upset and it escalated and things were set were said that probably shouldn't have been said and it was like one of those moments in my mind I'll remember I was like oh my goodness warning 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 I could tell my brother was really upset with me and I didn't know why he was so angry like why was he a, a 12 out of 10 on the anger scale with this and it all being directed towards me and I and I realized you know what even though um, I was trying to mature as an adult and not be that that competitive demanding diminishing sarcastic older brother putting him down that our relationship had gone through so many years of that where now him coming into adulthood, he wanted to repay me in that way. That was his attitude, his attitude towards me that I was always going to try to take advantage of him. I was always going to try to put him down or count him out. And at that moment, I realized, oh my goodness, I've, I've really hurt my brother in this way. This is like, this, this could have an impact that could go on for the rest of our lives, could sour our relationship if I would continue to mistreat him in that way, continue to be sarcastic with him or put him down, make him the brunt of every joke, or, or be overly competitive in every single situation possible. And so I, I, kinda, I did a little bit of a, a word audit on myself and my thinking and how I was treating him. I apologized. I apologized again. I, after the vacation, I gave him a call, and I said, hey, I was really thinking about our time together, and I want you to know I don't tell you enough that I do love you, and I am sorry for those times, all those times you felt that, that I put you down or tried to take advantage of you, and I really do hope that we can have a good relationship as adults. And, of course, in a healthy way, he was like, all right, yep, you can talk the talk, but will you walk the walk and whatever. And, and, and similar with Tony, too, um, just really wanting to maintain that competitive vibe with, with how we treated each other. And in the years since this Monopoly game, we actually have grown closer together, and I'm glad for that. Alex lives in California now, and he travels back to Iowa once or twice a year, we go out there. I was just out there a few months ago and stayed at his place. I know people who have siblings, relatives, family all over the country, and they don't see them for 10, 15, 20 years sometimes because, well, whatever, they drift or they don't have a close relationship in that way. I'm glad that I'm able to have that close relationship with Alex. My brother Tony lives in Cedar Falls, and 
the other weekend, both of our wives were out of town, and so each of us were on daddy duty, and, and on a Sunday, we got together and made, made lunch for the kids, had all the kids eat together, watched NFL Sunday ticket all afternoon, and then we served supper for the kids and watched some more football, and it sounds like a lazy, non-productive Sunday, but we were, we were dadding it up and watching football and having so much fun, and I'm blessed by that, and, and I think I can trace a little bit of it back to this Monopoly game and that small change that I made of, of realizing the importance of my words towards the people closest to us. And so thinking about that and realizing the power of our words, that if you want to change your world, you may have to change your words. And I don't know if it's in, within your family or in your in your house with your roommates or in classrooms or on your sports or activities team or wherever it is or what relationship that you might have where you think about the power of your words and what you say and how it shapes a relationship. But I think we all can realize how strong our words are and how important they are. So think for yourself about this word audit. I'm not going to have you raise your hand or anything. This is just a, a mental activity. Uh, reflecting on your words on this life-taking versus life-giving scale. And there's two aspects to it. So when you speak to other people, where would you put yourself on that scale of are your words more life-taking or are they life-giving? Does it depend on what day of the week it is or how you're feeling or what your homework load is or, or what you have coming up that, that shapes the words that you say or what part of the day it is, whether they're life-giving their life taking what would people say about you and then the other aspect of this is the words that you tell yourself we all have that voice in our head that constant track over and over and over that tells us a narrative a story about who we are about what we can achieve about what we're good at about what we're not good at about what we wish we were good at and what is that narrative in your head? What is that voice telling you? And guess who's in charge of that voice? You. And so are you telling yourself life-taking things or life-giving messages? Because it's powerful and it's important. Even James, the brother of Jesus, talks about this in the third chapter of his letter. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. And I'm a visual person. Oh, my slide must have gotten out of order there. That's all right. I'm a visual person. So this horse, this massive horse, is being controlled by that small bit in its mouth. When I watch the Kentucky Derby, I'm fascinated by all those horses, how they run around that track one time, and like none of them are running off or anything else. They're trained. They're controlled by that one bit, these 1,000-pound animals with the tiny little human riding them. <laughs> controlled by that tiny little bit. And then James continues. This clicker is just a little inconsistent. There we go. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. This aircraft carrier is controlled just by a teeny, tiny rudder. Uh, that massive ship 
a small rudder at the end being steered either way. Even though the winds are blowing, it, it guides that ship. And James continues, likewise, the tongue is a teeny tiny, it's a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set fire by even just a small spark. Where are maybe some small sparks caused by your tongue? Oop. Just put it back on the fire slide for me, Carter. We're fighting over the screen now. <laughs> what are some small sparks caused by your tongue that could erupt in a forest fire? For me, that competitive drive, that sarcasm towards my siblings and others around me, we're, we're starting to cause forest fires. And, and that's what we want to prevent. We don't, wanna, we don't want that. We want to be mindful of that. So tonight I want to highlight three strategies for what you say. And I don't think this is any rocket science brain surgery. Oh, oh my goodness, I can't believe what Ben said. You've probably heard these things before. But so often we just need to be reminded. We simply need to be reminded and called to account for some some of these things. So there's three strategies to guide what you say. The first, if you can't say something nice, don't say it at all, right? Mom or dad probably told you that, right? My parents certainly did. And I actually, I, I think it's fine that you say you don't say anything nice, but I prefer what, what's written in scripture. If you can't say something helpful, don't say it at all. Because nice, sometimes we're just nice to be fake nice so we can get out of an awkward conversation, right? But being helpful, whether it's critical thinking or offering feedback or, or offering a helpful, insightful comment to someone. And if, we, if we're not going to be helpful, then it's probably not worth saying. In Ephesians, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. How much unwholesome talk should come out of your mouth? None. That's what the, the guide is. Only things that are helpful and building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. If you can't say something helpful, then probably don't say it at all. And I will admit, this is a very big challenge for me, because I like to be Mr. Witty. I like to be on the front foot of humor. I Even tonight, in our little little huddle, the, the band rehearsal went a little bit long, and Carter was hemming and hawing to start the meeting. He said, well, we're a little late, but no, we're not, but we are. And, and then I just blurted out, we're late because you're just hemming and hawing, Carter. And then Carter said, yeah, that's good. That goes right along with your teaching tonight, Ben. I was like, yeah, exactly. Case in point. If you can't say anything helpful, don't say it all. And, there's, and Carter and I have a relationship, and there's things, you know, it's fun to be funny sometimes, and, and sometimes people can take it. But, but there's other times where it could be really, really hurtful. And sorry, Carter, if I hurt your feelings in front of the entire group. But I'll take you out for coffee sometime, right? Oh, but it really is. It, it is tough. And, and the people who are closest to us, um, sometimes maybe it's good just to take an inventory or a gauge. You're like, how are we doing for real at this? Because they can get the brunt of our, of our humor sometimes. And, and if we're not careful, it can start to build up and then cause a blockage or a strain. And, and we don't want that. We don't want that unwholesome talk. 
uh, coming out of our mouths, certainly if it's not helpful. The second thing is, if you think something good, say it. Say it. All too often, we think good things, and I call this a withhold. We withhold it. We withhold this joy, this appreciation, this, this uplifting, life-giving thing, this compliment, because it might seem awkward to say it. And we've all felt great when someone compliments us or says something kind to us or thoughtful or observant. And so we, we can say those kind things when we see something good. This is grounded in Scripture as well. It's in the Psalms. Um, Carter, you just hit the slide for me. This thing was, wasn't working for me. Thanks. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And so when we think kind things or we see something good, let's call it out. You see someone working hard in a practice, call it out. You see someone, maybe someone does the dishes unexpectedly, say thanks instead of like, well, about time, you know, like just call out the good. Call out the good in it. Um, you, your parents give you a call, thank them for it. Even though, you know, I, I kind of joked when I was in college, sometimes I felt like mom had a podcast before podcasts were even a thing. It was called voicemail. Hey, it's a caring mom, right? Like that's a, that's a good thing. And we can call out the good in, in people. It's for me, I had to twist my mind of how I thought about sports teams. This sounds so surface level, but it was embedded in me. If I saw, uh, I'm a Denver Broncos fan. If I saw any Kansas City Chiefs stuff or Raiders stuff, like I was just like, Ugh, who would wear that, you know? And I'd try to put someone down because of a sports team they liked. How terrible is that? So I switched it just a little bit. And I thought, wow, they like the NFL. I like the NFL too. We can, that's a good thing that we can vibe on together. And it's uplifting, perhaps it's helpful, it's a connection, and it's seeing something good. So even if it's noticing someone got a new pair of shoes or a nice shirt or a cool haircut or, or you like how someone handled a situation in public, whatever it is, compliment, say the nice thing. Just this small little discipline could make a big difference. Now, these first two were kind of on that how you speak to others. This final strategy is really helpful for how you speak to yourself. I want you to utilize the phrase, and that's the way I want it. For example, when, when we start getting going in our head, and maybe some negative things pop up, or maybe we're planning some things out, and we think it has to be a certain way in order for us to get our way, we can add on to the end of our thinking, and that's the way I want it. And if it is the way we want it, true in our soul and our spirit, then that's a good litmus test, and that's probably the right path to take. But if we say, and that's the way I want it, and we step back and think about the ramifications of that decision, and it's not the way we want it, then we probably have some more work to do, some more life-giving self-talk to do. So here's a few examples. I have to cheat to get ahead in life. I've thought this before. I don't know if you have. Add, and that's the way I want it onto the end. And now all of a sudden it becomes like, ooh, it's a little deeper, right? I, that's not the way I want it. I don't want to have to cheat to pass a class or to get a job. 
I don't want I want to do it honorably. So how, how will I adjust? How will I adjust my thinking and then therefore my actions? Or I don't need to be responsible with money and that's the way I want it. Until we get to a situation where our irresponsibility with finances and the gifts that God's given us put us at a loss at limited opportunities limited opportunity to even perhaps pursue God because of maybe a track that we were ignorant to in our mind. Or it doesn't matter who I have sex with or how physically active I am in a relationship. And that's the way I want it. I don't know about you. I've bought into this lie before. And and one burned relationship after another burned relationship after another, and you think I'd, I'd learn like why that recipe doesn't work, and it only leaves me more heartbroken, and then more crap to have to deal with or talk through in the next relationship. Or this last one: I don't need help with my depression, and that's the way I want it. If you're if you're sad, or you feel depressed. It's okay to feel that way, but the enemy wants to isolate you in that, and, and when really the best thing would be to get help. And so if that's you, if you walk through these doors and, and you're feeling this or, or you need someone to talk to, that's, that's what this basic community is here for, and, we, and there's professionals who can certainly help. And, and, and I love this community because of, of that life group, life-giving relationships that that can be cultivated here and so don't don't isolate in that and and break your mind out of that negative track i'm not sure what the lord is is putting on your heart on on how you talk to yourself but i do believe that using this phrase and that's the way i want it will help you in giving yourself some life giving thoughts and talk because in the end if you want to change your world change your words your thoughts become your words, your words become your habits, and your habits determine the trajectory of your life. So thoughts, words, habits, they're all important. And if we, it, we have to do the small daily disciplines to get the big difference. Would you pray with me, please? <sighs> Heavenly Father, you are awesome. And I'm so grateful that you love us all the time, no matter what. That there's nothing we could do that would cause you to reject us. That even in our sin, the words you have spoken are, I love you. You are my daughter. You are my son. Lord, we're your children. And it'd be my prayer tonight, Lord, that however your spirit is moving, God, that we would have the courage to follow your prompts. That we wouldn't be struck with, with shame or paralyzed by any shortcomings that we have, God, but that we would take that step to say I'm sorry or to apologize whoever it is that we need to apologize to. And by your spirit, Lord, put into our lungs the, the air to speak 
life-giving words to ourselves, to the people you place in our path every single day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the next two to three minutes, we've set aside some reflection time. So we got a question up on the screen that you can reflect on, or if there was something else from the last 15 minutes that stuck out to you, reflect on that. But just take these next few minutes to spend some personal time with God, perhaps reflecting in prayer and talking with Him. The band will be playing in the background, and then eventually they'll, they'll start to sing. And, and when they sing, whatever feels right to you. If you want to stand and sing along, you can certainly do that. If you want to stay seated, you can do that. We have our prayer team in the back as well, ready to pray for whatever needs that you would, would be willing to bring forward to them. So let's just spend the next few moments in a personal time with the Lord.